2: Bring in show music, please.
0: This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. On today's episode, we're following an investigation of AT&T's lead-wrapped cables in Lake Tahoe. How safe are they? And how liable are the telecom companies that put them there years ago? We hear from the president of telecom's trade group, Jonathan Spalter.
1: It's really important to emphasize that the existence of lead-sheathed cables does not equate to a public health risk.
0: And the long-awaited Barbie and Oppenheimer releases.
3: What do you think should it be? Barbenheimer? So the-
0: Barbenheimer,
4: I think, is what it is.
0: ComScore analyst Paul DeGarabedian on The Drama and The profits.
5: Both Universal and Warner Brothers are going to have a stellar weekend. This is a really positive Hollywood story right now.
4: Those stories, plus a Google co-founder
0: back in the office.
4: Motivated and interested and involved like he hasn't been in years. And so
0: much more. It's Friday, July 21st, 2023, and Squawk Pod begins right now.
2: Stand Becky by in three, two, one. 2, cue,
6: please.
4: Good morning, everybody. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. It is Friday. The Nasdaq 100 is undergoing a special rebalance that is effective before Monday's opening bell. It's designed to address the overconcentration of the seven stocks that helped to power the first half rally and now make up more than 55% of the weighting in the Nasdaq 100. That's right, seven stocks, 55% of the index. After the rebalance, they will account for just under 45% of the index. In another shift, Apple will become the most heavily weighted tech stock in in the NASDAQ 100, moving Microsoft to second place. Microsoft and NVIDIA will see their weightings fall by 3%, while Google drops by 2%. According to the NASDAQ, names like Starbucks, Mondelez, Booking Holdings, Gilead Sciences, and ADP could see their weightings increase.
6: In time, meantime, uh, let's talk about the FCC because it is halting an internal trial now seeking to block Microsoft and Activision Blizzard's merger. The agency suspending its challenge against the $69 billion deal was scheduled to go on trial on August 2nd and now paves the way for both sides to settle. Now, you might remember earlier this week, Microsoft and Activision announced an extension of their merger agreement. That would go to October 18th to allow for more time for negotiations with U.K. regulators who are opposed to that deal. So. Uh, A little bit of uh, good news or maybe expected news, actually, in the end uh, for Microsoft Activision at this point.
4: Been talking about AI a lot. And speaking of that, Google co-founder Sergey Brin getting back to the office. The Wall Street Journal reports that Brin has been visiting Alphabet's headquarters in recent months up to four times a week. He is said to be working with researchers as they push to develop the company's upcoming AI offering. Brent is, offer, is also reportedly holding weekly discussions with AI with employees and has taken a lead role in new hires for this project. I hear he is very, very motivated and interested and involved right. like he hasn't been in years.
6: I and mean, they both haven't been involved in, you know, Larry, Larry hasn't been involved in, in years either. He's been much closer by.
3: Um, I just, it's, it's I just physically hear he's energized and, like and he has not it. been
4: in years because no. he's so into this project.
3: That's pretty cool. I mean, he's, they're both amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like if I went back to a place to help them with, like, their AI efforts.
4: <laughs> Yay! We're so glad to see you.
3: I just wouldn't have a lot of input, probably, <laughs> about the algorithms and the, the code and stuff. I might adjust a little code here and there around the edges.
6: Just, just tweaks. New York Mets owner and billionaire investor Steve Cohen revealing a new stake in pet retailer Chewy. This is a regulatory filing. Cohen's 0.72 asset management saying it's now taken a 5.8% stake in the company. Chewy posted a surprise profit last quarter and forecast full-year sales of between $11.15 billion and $11.35 billion. Billion dollars, you guys. I mean, you have the dog. You, Chew is your your place no, or no? No, I've had. They've sent some stuff and it was good. We ran
3: out finally. Oh, you, you ran out of stuff. You ran out of what the, of, of the initial? Yeah, of what we had. It's good. I, it's nice to get something other than kibble because kibble. The dogs look at me sometime and it's like, really, this is especially if they've had other things that we we've, we've been trying freeze dried chicken and it's, it's bo- like a delicacy. No, it's bones and organs. That and seems, it's like, a deli- that it's seems a, like a dog it, delicacy. I think it might be, because you don't have to put much in for them to eat the kibble, so it must be the
6: like the smell. i never
3: had a dog. I had
6: a turtle. And you had a... Well, let's not talk about that. I had a turtle. And you had no, a... we used to do? Used we to we have, used to feed You used to have the rabbit. I had the rabbit. But we were we, The delicacy for the turtle was we used to feed the turtle... I shouldn't say this on the air. Live goldfish.
4: Oh, I thought you were going to say people.
6: No. <laughs> Fingers. A turtle? Like, well, Fingers.
4: So you can't say it on air. Well,
6: and it was okay. like a del- and, and we joked Well, that's like, a feeding, that's,
3: like, that's like feeding one pet to another. Mm-hmm. That's really bad.
4: At least it wasn't turtles.
0: I was a child.
4: <laughs> don't
6: don't, don't hold, hold this against you.
0: Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, following the lead-wrapped cables how a Wall Street Journal investigation, Lake Tahoe, and AT&T have sparked questions about lingering lead in our environment. We hear from the president of Telecom's trade association, Jonathan Spalter.
1: The fundamental fact is that only a small portion of America's telecommunications infrastructure is actually lead sheathed. And generally, these cables are placed in parts of the country which are minimize the uh, opportunity for access from the public.
7: How about Captain Crunch's Crunchberries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we Crunch Island.
1: Oh, he's John LeFoot!
4: <laughs> and he stole our Crunch! Quick, the zip line! He's getting away! Throw our last
7: Crunch Berry! No! no one steals my crunch berries.
4: I think you mean my crunch berries? Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. a leading global asset manager.
0: Welcome back to Squawk Pod. This next story continues our coverage of the lead-wrapped telecom cables in Lake Tahoe. If you're not caught up on the story, scroll back in your feed to yesterday's episode of Squawk Pod, where we did a deep dive on what these cables are, why they're there, why we're talking about them now, and what risks they pose to the public. For now, I'll give you a brief recap. AT&T has decided to leave lead-wrapped cables in Lake Tahoe until they've assessed the condition of those cables. This decision, AT&T says, is consistent with the recommendation that the Environmental Defense Fund has made to the EPA. The Environmental Defense Fund, or EDF, is the group that designed the testing of these cables and their surrounding areas. One of the EDF's leaders, Tom Neltner, led the design of these tests and he joined our TV broadcast on Thursday.
2: We didn't ask him to stop plans to remove from Lake Tahoe. What we said is for underwater cables, disturbing the cable, moving it around, especially in areas with a lot of sediment and silt uh, along the Hudson, for example, you you can release and make a bigger problem. So you have to do it thoughtfully and carefully. And AT&T took that to say that means that we should stop work in Tahoe.
0: His full interview and? Our explainer is on yesterday's podcast. Now, it's a big deal because these aren't the only lead-wrapped cables that exist. Remnants of the telecom industry infrastructure of old are all over. The Wall Street Journal investigated these in Tahoe and charges telecom giants like Verizon and AT&T with abandoning these cables under waterways and even playgrounds. That EDF scientist explained that the risks of lead exposure from these cables is not the same as that from lead paint, and he spoke of the scale of the issue.
2: We had no concept of how broad the problem was until AT&T did a court filing out in California that said that they have 66,000 miles. That'll go around the earth two and a half times of cables. I had no idea that there were so many lead pipes out there. Are these pipes really there? These lead cables really there? And if they are, are they releasing lead into the environment? And we found that in the affirmative.
0: Today, we're hearing from the telecom side of things. I'll let Becky Quick take it from here.
4: New York Governor Kathy Hochul directing state agencies to investigate the health risks associated with telecom companies' old lead cables. This comes after the Wall Street Journal reported evidence of decades-old lead-clad cables potentially contaminating waters across the United States and in the air, other places, The industry has been swift in disputing the journal's reporting. Many questions, though, remain on the severity of the situation and whether other providers might face similar scrutiny. For more on this, we want to bring in Jonathan Spalter, who is the CEO of U.S. Telecom, which is a national trade association representing the big carriers and other technology companies as well. Um, Jonathan, first of all, welcome. How, How big of a problem do you think this is?
1: Well, first of all, Becky, thanks for having me. And it really is great to represent the American telecommunications industry, which has been connecting communities for over a century now. And there really, there has been speculation these last few days. And that's one of the reasons why we've been putting out facts, uh, very clear facts. And I think that the facts that we've been offering have really addressed many of the concerns. The fundamental fact is that only a small portion of America's telecommunications infrastructure is actually lead sheathed. And generally, these cables are placed in, in parts of the country which are uh, minimize the uh, opportunity for access from the public. You know, We are going to take the environmental protection, health and safety of our communities very, very seriously. We have and we're, we will, and we're going to continue to do that as we move forward through this process.
4: Jonathan, let's cut through this though. There's a lot of noise around this. It's, it's not all cables, you're right. AT&T has put out its own filing say that, saying that of the two million miles of cable that it has, it's only 10%. That's 200,000 miles, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. They do say that two thirds of that shouldn't be a problem because it's buried deeply and, and, and in a place where it's not going to leach out in any way, shape or form. But that still leaves 66,000 miles just with AT&T alone of cable that might have to be checked out because it's either in the air or it's in the water. Now, there's big questions. The Environmental Defense Fund has said that they don't want to see them start to remove some of the cables, including the one in Lake Tahoe that have been found, because they don't know what happens if you remove the cables, if it creates more of a problem if it's there. But you are talking about tens of thousands of miles at least of cable that's gonna to have to be checked, that's gonna to have to be looked into. Some of these cables go back to the 1880s. You know, we stopped using lead as in industry back in the 1950s, early 1950s, so these are really old cables. Some of them are still in use, and it's a problem that people hadn't thought about. It's had a huge impact on the stocks of these companies, though. Earlier this week, we saw AT&T hit a 30-year low. In terms of its share price, we saw Verizon hit a 13-year low. Both those stocks moved a little higher when AT&T moved out to say here's what they think is some of the surrounding issues. But this is a problem that we just didn't realize was really out there. Even the guys who study lead at the Environmental Defense Fund didn't think that this could really be a problem this big. What do you do?
1: Well, I think what we do is we do what uh, the companies are, are doing, which is first we've begun site testing in various locations that were actually pointed to by the Wall Street Journal report. Uh-huh. we are providing testing in fact to employees uh... both uh... uh... on a on the company's time and on, on, on company's uh, uh... expense uh... we're working closely with and constructively i would add with regulators and policymakers. we're making available information at uh... telecom cable, uh... we're moving rapidly to ensure that we can actually uh, Emphasize the fact that there really is a, a small portion of these cables that are lead sheathed, and we're going to address these on a case-by-case and site-by-site basis.
4: I, I, I was surprised that we, we had the scientist from the EDF who has studied lead for 25 years on yesterday. He said this came as a surprise to him. He didn't think it was beyond the Lake Tahoe situation. He was surprised by how big of a problem this is across the industry. Were your members surprised by the level of this issue?
1: Well, I'd say that the history of America's telecommunications infrastructure, particularly our cables, is very well documented. Becky, you mentioned that the, these cables have been in place from the 1880s through the 1950s, where they began to be replaced with plastics. We're using fiber optics today. Um, you know, we are following the science. We are following the facts, and we're going to be acting accordingly. I would say that one of the things we've sought from The Wall Street Journal and, and have asked repeatedly for are the underlying data and records uh, that they have uh, that have contributed to the hypotheses that they've made they haven't made that available to us we want to continue with the site testing and we want to do it as quickly and efficiently as possible and we'd really like the Wall Street Journal to be able to share its data information with us
4: okay um, Jonathan in, in terms of the issues of lead poisoning. I mean, it's well documented. Lead is a naturally occurring um, substance. It's not like PCBs. So it does occur in other places. Even the Environmental Defense Fund has said that probably a bigger problem is if you look at peeling paint and and, and the water pipes that have been made out of lead as well. But how do you get your arms around this, especially if you have employees who are worried about what they've been exposed to?
1: Well, as I mentioned, first we're providing testing to all employees who seek it on a voluntary basis. But it's really important to, to to emphasize that the existence of lead sheathed cables does not equate to a public health risk. We've looked very closely at the scientific literature, and we've seen no evidence that there is uh, uh, that these lead sheathed cables do uh, equate to a public health risk. But we're going to be continuing to work with regulators and policymakers to address these issues, and most importantly, we're going to follow the science. We're going to continue to do our testing with independent experts. And we're going to um, make sure that we can drive as quickly as possible to find answers. Uh, It's important to reemphasize, though, that as we have as companies putting facts out to the public, that uh, of the overall plant of America's telecommunications cable infrastructure, there is only a small portion that are these lead sheath cables.
6: Jonathan, just an economic question, which is, when you're advising and talking to the the, the different telecommunications companies about how much money they, they may want to actually put in a rainy day fund, if you will, to deal with this, what does that number in your mind look like?
1: Well, first of all, I think that uh, we need to not jump to conclusions about uh, these types of matters. We have to look at the science. We have to continue to do the site testing that we've begun. We also have to make sure that we're assessing this on on a cable-by-cable and site-by-site basis. There is, uh, as the EDF uh, colleagues spoke about yesterday, uh, good reason to leave uh, uh, some of this plant in place so as to minimize risk to public health. Right. Um, No,
6: no, I appreciate that. I just, as as I, you know, those who are in the risk business and investors who are investing in these companies are just trying to understand the potential costs and, and potential liabilities. And so... While I recognize that there are people who are suing and uh, seeking, you know, damages and all sorts of costs that, 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 you know, some people say $60 billion, I have to imagine that internally within your, your space, you have a, a different view, but there has to be some number attached to that.
1: Well, I can't speculate about those types of uh, economic uh, models. What I will say is that, again, our first and foremost opportunity right now is to follow the science, to undertake testing. As broadly as we can, on a side-by-side basis, and to uh, unearth the facts and follow those facts accordingly. Um, that's one of the reasons why we've uh, undertaken the site testing, as I mentioned, why we're working proactively with regulators and policymakers, and why we're going to continue to do that as we really focus on the health and safety of the workers that we uh, employ and the communities that we operate in.
4: Jonathan, thank you. We thank thank you you appreciate your much. time..
0: Next on Squawk Pod, get your popcorn ready. Barbie and Oppenheimer are out in theaters today. The hype, the merch, the pink, it's everywhere. Comscore analyst Paul Degarabedian and the big pink weekend ahead.
5: This whole Barbenheimer phenomenon is something that's gonna give a real shot in the arm to the theatrical movie
7: business at a time when there's a lot of turmoil going on.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod.
6: Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site on a Friday morning. I'm Andrew Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Got a lot going on.
4: AMC dropping its plan to charge more for better seats at theaters. The company announced the strategy back in February, planning to increase prices for better seats with better sight lines and reducing the price of less attractive seats. It tested the program in three U.S. markets, but found that moviegoers had little or no interest in reduced-price seats, which includes the front row. I think they got worried as we're heading into Barbenheimer that they didn't want to be pricing out themselves from other competing theaters when it comes to the seats that people actually want.
3: Today uh, marks the start of what might be Hollywood's most anticipated opening weekend of the year, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Known by some as Barbenheimer and others as Barbeheimer, and I haven't quite decided. Uh, I've tried to figure out which. What do you think should it be Barbenheimer? So the,
4: Barbenheimer, I think, is what it is.
3: I've seen Barbeheimer though. If you Google it, that'll come up too. Look, I think Barbeheimer gives more weight to Barbie. Barbenheimer, Barbenheimer
4: I think, makes takes more
3: sense weight to, you to Oppenheimer. Th-
4: Barbenheimer and it's the, I think oh, it gives
3: too much weight to Oppenheimer although we should since it's universal I would like okay it all right all right Barbenheimer <laughs> Which
4: movie do you want to see
3: bar I, I you're right I do it some people are seeing both that they're gonna be there for a while better get uh, plenty of popcorn it's gonna hit theaters across the country it's Warner Brothers is the Barbie movie expected to gross as much as 140 million dollars this weekend while Oppenheimer uh, from CNBC parent company uh, Comcast Universal Pictures ex- is expected to gross between 40 uh, and 60 million. Joining us now is Paul Drugaribedian, ComScore a senior media analyst. If you, I guess, if you do this for a living, you might, are you excited too, Paul? You've been waiting for this.
5: I am. It's 3:20 in the morning here on the West Coast, and I'm up and I'm ready to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer. This whole Barbenheimer phenomenon is something that's going to give a real shot in the arm to the theatrical movie business at a time when there's a lot of turmoil going on. And according to our Comscore numbers, the summer movie season heading into this weekend is at $2.4 down about 7% from last summer when Top Gun Maverick was leading the charge. But this is going to be really important. A huge weekend for theaters. So many people excited about this. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about this whole mashup of these two movies just creates real excitement. And Barbie, obviously, the front-runner to take the weekend. But in the long term, Oppenheimer is a major awards contender. So both Universal and Warner Brothers are going to have a stellar weekend. They're going to be different. It's a tale of two trajectories. But uh, no less interesting and fun, by the way. This is a really positive Hollywood story right now.
3: It is. and. It's been rough. It's been rough. I look at 2020 pandemic totals were, were just staggeringly, yeah. uh, 6.9, uh, I guess billion in 2018 fell to 1.4, in 2021. Paul, that is uh, like almost a, a famine. Uh, for, well, I mean, for the 2020. 2020. Well, 20, March 20 yeah. of
5: 2020 is when the movie theaters essentially shut down. And the box office year of 2020 was at two and a half billion dollars domestically, going down from eleven point4 billion the year before. We're expecting to get over nine billion this year. but with the you know the writers and actors strike, that may provide some headwinds here, both for the production pipeline and the ability of actors to go out and promote their movies. This hasn't hurt Mission Impossible or Barbenheimer because these films already had their marketing well in place. This thing is a freight train moving along, this whole Barbenheimer thing. And I think audiences are loving it. And those big screens too, particularly for Oppenheimer, the IMAX and the premium large formats and that 70 millimeter film experience in some locations is really cool. And then Barbie is creating this notion of going out in groups, seeing the movie together, and then the idea of a double feature where I think AMC reported that they're selling a lot of double feature Barbie and Oppenheimer tickets. This is all great news for the industry, for theatrical box office and for the studios. But we still have many weeks to go in the year, certainly the summer movie season, which ends on Labor Day Monday. There's a lot of big movies coming out in August the Meg 2, The Equalizer 3, Blue Beetle, Last Voyage of the Demeter, and others. So this is a really uh, dynamic time, to say the least, at the movies.
3: Double feature, I haven't even heard that term. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long while. Time. It's interesting, I mean, okay, Mission Impossible, I heard of that one. Indiana Jones, he's been around, he's 80. Um, yes. It, but there, some of these are, are long. in the two, Spider-Man, how many of those can you make? I saw some Chinese consumers, there was an article in the journal yesterday, they're just not buying this stuff uh, anymore. And it is a little bit, some of it is a little bit insipid and boring. And I don't know what the the reboot looks like for how we do these things. Uh, Harrison Ford can't make another one of these. I I mean, we need to figure something else out, don't we?
5: Well, I don't know. I mean, if a movie is good, I don't think it really is a problem if it's a fourth installment, fifth, or whatever you may want to call it. But you know what the cool thing, going back to your point, Joe, is that These two movies are originals. I mean, we all know the Barbie brand, but this is not part of a franchise. Uh, It's not a sequel or a prequel to another movie. And Oppenheimer, obviously an incredible story, but not part of a franchise. So it's very different. But I think that's really cool for these two studios to go all in on these auteur-driven non-sequel, non-superhero, non-known IP other than the Barbie IP, but not as a movie brand. But now we're seeing this right now in the middle of summer. So this is really, I think, yeah, good uh, news for the industry moving forward. You have to create exciting new movies, and we're seeing that this weekend.
3: We don't want a, an Oppenheimer sequel. I don't even know what that means historically. How would you do, yeah, how would you yeah, do that? Yeah, let's, let's – uh, but you know what? Uh, that's not about – we don't need an Oppenheimer. It's Christopher Nolan. That's that's pretty amazing when a director almost uh, is, is his own. It could be like James Cameron or something like that. Oh, he know, is he, a
5: brand unto himself. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's on the in the Pantheon or on the Mount Rushmore of directors, Christopher Nolan with some amazing films. He really makes you think. And his movies are incredibly complex, but he has a way of shepherding you through uh, something yeah. like the Manhattan Project and Oppenheimer and Killian Murphy looks uncannily like the real J. Robert Oppenheimer. And for Barbie to have that star power of Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling is very powerful. But these two together are positively incredible. And something I don't think we're gonna see very often, it's like the Halley's Comet of movie weekends because it's so unique. In as much as this right. marketing has combined you, you, these two you,
3: films paul you really you you should you're doing what you should be doing do you go to all the, the film festivals do you are you gonna be a telluride
5: i'll be anywhere you are i love well, all the movies i'll see you there
3: <laughs> i will see you there then uh all right uh, i'll say hi i gotta remember i'm gonna have to try and remember who you are though let me look closely
5: that's okay oh, I, have <laughs> I have a long last right.
3: name i have a long
5: last name like oppenheimer i know yeah. i was
3: practicing it <laughs> believe me we'll see you later thanks paul <laughs> thank you
0: That's the podcast for today and for the week. Thank you for listening, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, live weekday mornings on CNBC, starting at 6 a.m. Eastern. You can always find the highlights and the best bits of that TV show here on Squawk Pod, as long as you follow us wherever you're listening now and turn on your notifications so you never miss a beat. We'll meet you back here on Monday... Have a great weekend and enjoy the box office.
2: We are clear. Thanks, guys.
7: From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast.